0: Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt.
1: Welcome back. I've got Dr. Scott Rigby on the line. Scott, how are you? Great, Michael. How are you? I am awesome. Really, really looking forward to this conversation because you do a ton of work in a space that a lot of organizations and individuals are challenged with right now. So why don't you share a little bit about you and then we'll dive into the conversation.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, I've kind of had an interesting uh, trajectory in my career. I I was trained as a behavioral psychologist. I studied uh, clinical and social psychology with with a real focus on motivation and well-being and kind of those core functions, which I'm I, i'm I'm sure that we'll get into as part of the conversation. Um following that, I then went off, and that's when the entrepreneur bug that I think had been germinating inside me really broke forth as you know after after a few years of working as a behavioral scientist in the academic and scientific space. Started, uh, I've started a series of companies, but most recently uh, at Immersive and then with our new MotivationWorks platform, uh, I've been really moved to try to figure out how to bring the behavioral science of, uh, of, of human well-being, engagement, motivation uh, you know, into the world more fully in a way that's practical and applicable to, to business owners, uh, leaders, and even employees themselves. That's great work and the psychology background definitely
1: works in the workplace because for a long time management and leadership you know treated employees as well resources cogs assets whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them and yep. we come as employees with our own personal baggage our challenges life you name it and this pandemic that we've gone through definitely brought to light a lot of those challenges as organizations were Trying to figure out, okay, how do we continue working when, in many cases, we were told we can't go into work, so we got to work remotely, or how does that look, and how do we engage our teams, how do we keep people uh, engaged and feel like they're not lost, or productivity, all the things that we've been hearing about over the last few years, you know, definitely comes into play, and there's you know a mindset about it, too. So I'd love sure. to hear your thoughts on what what you've seen over the last couple of years anyway, and where you think things might go.
0: Well, uh, yeah, it's been a fascinating time. I'll tell you one of the things that um, I think it would be interesting to talk about is right at the very beginning of the pandemic, something interesting happened if you look at uh, look at engagement or employee engagement, and that is that Engagement numbers spiked to levels that had not been seen in in the Gallup, you know, or you know, usually Gallup is kind of the main tracking metric around this. Jumped to levels that we hadn't seen in 20 years, and uh, at the time, um, I remember talking to leaders and saying, "There's a lesson here that we need to learn. Let's not miss the lesson." Unfortunately, within a couple of months, the numbers plummeted back down to where they are now. I think the lesson was missed. And what that lesson is, is that when the pandemic hit, leaders, a a lot of them very authentically, I don't want to say a lot, I think uh, all of us, we kind of huddled together and we cared about each other. And instead of people first being one of those things that's in the mission statement, but it's kind of a rhetoric, leaders really cared about their people. We want to put our employees first. And employees saw it and they felt it. And guess what? When they felt cared for by their leaders in a really true and authentic way, we saw something that all of the billions that's invested every single year in employee engagement, this and that, we saw something transformational. But then, you know, again, when I said we missed the lesson, I think we didn't understand the power of that, where it was coming from. We started, we kind of got our footing. Businesses started to put all kinds of other things in place. And here's the thing that's a little troubling, Michael, is now what's happened, and this is where the great resignation comes from, is businesses have uh, pulled back so much from that that we've seen it not just drop back to 2019 levels, but we're seeing it plummet even lower. So we see engagement numbers down. And interestingly, we also see uh, the trust that employees have that leaders care about their well-being at a 10-year low, 20-year low. I'm not sure, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's challenging right now.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I and I mention this a lot in my interviews and conversations. <clears throat> Excuse me. This goes back to you know, 2000, 1999 ninety nine two thousand era. It was towards the tail end of the dot com era mm-hmm. before things went sideways. I worked for an internet market research firm in Chicago, mm-hmm. and my boss Rick uh, came to me first day three thirty two p.m. I remember specifically. because I I looked down at my clock on the computer and he says, okay. He came in, he leaned on my cubicle. I said, okay, I just want to lay down some ground rules. And I'm like, okay, here we go. It's like, well, at least the ink's still wet on my resume. I can always go somewhere else because I thought, okay, this is what it's going to be. He leans in and he goes, I don't care when you get here. I don't care when you go home. As long as you get your work done, we're good. If you need anything from me, here's my cell number. You've got my pager number to kind of date that. Yeah. Um, you let me know whatever you need. We'll make sure we have it. I'm in this office three days a week. I'm in Virginia two days a week. Whatever you need, let me know. Yeah. I, I stayed there almost four years. I turned down offers that paid ten to $20,000 more a year yeah. to go work somewhere else because I'm like, they trust me. They want me to be successful. I, yeah. just, I was a 20-something guy that had a $6 million IT budget to order stuff. Talk yeah. about a playground. And then, of course, when I went home and I wanted to buy something for me, I didn't have that $6 million budget. <laughs> <clears throat> That's when I was like, ooh, man, maybe I should have taken that higher. Pick. No, I didn't. Uh, but I—you know that was two decades ago. And it yeah. still resonates with me today. And that was something that I did as far as a leader when I was leading an organization. It's like, what do you need? You know, yeah. I turned. I turned around an organization that had over eighty percent turnover, and the next year that was six percent. And how yeah. did I do it? What do you need? Okay.
0: Yeah, and, and I, yeah, and I think so. So what you're talking about is is uh, you know is is so important. And a lot of times this gets framed, or historically this been this has been framed in terms of that kind of servant leadership idea, right? So the servant leadership is I'm here to kind of serve the people, you know. Uh, who, who are in my downline and who are on my team. The challenge, but where, where we're excited to evolve things is is how do you scale servant leadership and how can you create a cultural framework for that that spirit of what do you need to actually knowing what people need? So imagine that you as a leader know what people need fundamentally, not just you know, Michael over here in this section, or Bob in accounting, or Samantha over here, where you have to have those individual conversations, but how can you have a framework for understanding the human needs of your employees and, and put into place in your policies, your procedures, your culture, your training, the support of those needs? And so this is where the behavioral science work that we've done over the last, uh, that same timeframe. I, I, sadly, I remember these, those days as well. I'm old enough to remember those days and the early days of everything. During that, even prior to that time, we had been developing the behavioral science model and really what it's identified are three fundamental or basic psychological needs, we call them. The need for autonomy, the need for relatedness or belonging, and the need for mastery and What we do is we train in that model and how to support those basic needs, because it turns out that every employee intrinsically wants those things to be supported. And if you can adopt support for those needs into your culture, then you're going to see it's a tide that raises all boats, right? So, and it actually helps managers, a lot of whom, I mean, let's face it, a lot of times business owners have to deal with the fact that managers don't intuitively have the same wisdom that that manager did for you. I, so how do you train them on what it means to support employees? If you say, well, just meet with them once a week and talk with them, that's not enough. You need to give them this kind of framework about what they need to support. And, and that's, that's the exciting work that we've been doing with companies. And we've seen really great effects from that. I would agree. It's, people want to belong.
1: They want to have the ability to have some say in control in how they do their job. You know, mm-hmm. the, going back to what Rick told me. You know, he didn't tell me, okay, you need to do this, and this. Here's what we need done, and exactly. and right. let me go do it. And sometimes I'd get it done quick. Sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes he'd run into hurdles. He so asked. We had a great team. People would help out, and we got things done. And that's how you. I was employee number thirty-two. They've got. Thousands of employees globally now. So I remember yep. those early days, and the reason why is you know a lot of combination, but a lot of it was just building the right team and creating an environment where we could do some magic. And we I remember we lost a there was a dot com company. I'm not going to mention them, but you know they you know they were one of the Super Bowl ad. Companies. And then, of course, they went under, like many Super Bowl ad companies can do because they spend all their money on an ad instead of on the products or the services. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that was a big hit. And we were at a company retreat, and our the CEO came up, and everybody was like, Okay, what's this gonna mean? And he came up there and goes, I don't give a shit about dot dot com. And we all laughed and we knew. He meant it and the company continued and grew. He's like, we're not going to let this setback impact us. We're moving forward. And mm-hmm. they did. And yeah. they did. And, and he encouraged everybody. It's like, I know you're all worried about this. I don't care. I'm the CEO. I'm the one that should be worried. I'm not worried. Why? Because I know what you guys are going to be able to do. Yeah. Because we're going to create the environment for you to do that. We're going we're gonna to forget about them. And they did. And of course, you know, they continue to do great work in the space. And it was just one of those okay, he understands, he
0: listens, I feel safe. And it it just, yeah, yeah. He was focused on the mission, he believed in his people. He, you know, and, and I think that kind of conveys, you know, a lot of support for those basic needs that I was talking about. Yeah. 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 So for organizations,
1: I mean, you've worked with some amazing companies. And when I, you know, looked at the roster of them, it's like it makes sense. That these would be organizations that would be focusing on these areas because I've purchased services or products from many of these organizations, and I I can tell it's like okay, this is an organization that's ran really well. Why? And it's like well, it's because their employees are healthy and yes. they're contributing. And yeah. so, working with these organizations, you know, it, you know, walk us through that process without giving us the kernel secret recipe, of course. But you know, ultimately, it's like you know what. When they reach out to the you or vice versa, you reach out to them because you see a situation or an opportunity. you know what you know what are some of the conversations like you know especially for those managers and you alluded to that a few minutes ago, where a lot of times managers, not necessarily their fault but it is on them too, as far as their own growth, is yeah. a lot of them are not geared. To go beyond that, I'm going to meet with you once a week, kind of thing. So you know what's yeah. that? What's that process? Well, I, I,
0: yeah, I think. Well, the, fir- the first thing is this is where having an actual framework. And you know, when we one of the reasons when we built our MotivationWorks platform, one of the the purposes of the platform was to take all of the practical and actionable uh, science that we've we've developed over the last forty years, um, you know, in the marketplace and that we validated through lots of studies where we essentially say you know if you intervene this way does it have a positive impact not just on the employee but on the manager themselves and we created we call them recipes right so it's it's not simply tactic you know tactical advice like have a meeting it's well what is it that needs to happen in that meeting and we call them recipes because, you know, just like a recipe where it's like, get three eggs out, crack the egg, now do this. We'll actually say, you know, give training where we say, all right, first of all, set aside, take 10 minutes beforehand and work through this punch list of questions yourself. Now move into the conversation. Make sure you cover these areas. Now, if this happens, you can. here's an example of the ways in which you can respond. And the reason that it's, it's impactful is, first of all, managers don't have a lot of time. They already have too much to do. And they're not supposed to be expert psychologists or understand basic need fulfillment or those things. They didn't get to be a manager because they understood all those things. They got to be a manager, probably, as we know, because they were good at their job. So they got to be a manager. So now they have these new responsibilities. So what they appreciate is that we start by kind of giving them feedback. We do, a, we do quick assessments with their teams. It takes about five minutes, you know, again, as, as behavioral psychologists, we know how to ask questions the right way we can We can get so much meaningful information, Michael, in a five minute survey that most employee experience surveys take you know forty five minutes you won't get as much information. and then we immediately give the manager what they need to hear about their team right here's here are the strengths and weaknesses, and here's specifically what you can be doing for you to have a happier life, not just to support them, not just to put another burden on the manager and This is another thing about a lot of these trainings is here's another you know responsibility we're going to hold you accountable to is you need to get your team's employee engagement numbers up. You need to lower your retention rate. Now, this is a lot of pressure on managers. And when you frame it that way, it can be very demotivating. And this is why most managers don't engage fully with this process. But if instead you say, look, this is going to make the quality of your life better because you're going to understand not only how to support needs, but in the supporting of those needs, your needs will also be more, you'll have a more fulfilling work environment. And because we're dealing with the fundamentals of the human psychology, people buy into it a lot more. They get the help they need and they're able to kind of engage. One other thing I'll mention is another kind of manager I'll talk about for just a minute, which is the manager who's the jaded manager. The other ones is like, yeah, sure. People are intrinsically motivated. You support their needs and engagement will emerge. I don't buy it. You haven't met my team. My team needs the whip to crack. My team needs this. My team needs that. And what we, the way we help them is we help them understand that that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When people are demotivated and they're not supported and they're more controlled in the top-down way, they tend to disengage. When they disengage, guess what? You feel like you have to come in and crack the whip a bit more to get them to engage in the short term, which then demotivates them further, which then requires. So it's this kind of like sinkhole that you circle in the drain. Right. Once we equip them with some tools to approach it differently, their job gets easier because you know, it's a lot of work to crack a whip. And it's also not enjoyable. Right? People don't enjoy doing that. <laughs> so this other method is, increases vitality, increases energy. It's easier. And it actually, the employees themselves get involved so the manager doesn't feel like it's all on them. It becomes a team exercise to, to engage and to get fulfillment at work. So anyway, those are just a couple of thoughts. And that's why I think companies resonate with this.
1: Yeah. And what you described about that manager and the cracking the whip and what happens is those employees then for a brief period, okay, I got to work a little bit harder. Okay, let's do this. And then they settle back into what I like to call... Malicious compliance or working to the job description or the latest phrase, quiet, quiet. quiet quitting. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. It's yeah. like, I'm going to do the bare minimum to yeah. keep my job. And they're just going to go through the motions. They are emotionally and physically checked out. You know, those that can kind of withstand it and, and deal with that and then have, you know, Things that they do outside of work, that brings them joy and fulfillment. Okay, but a lot of times what happens is that pressure and that stress takes a toll on those individuals. It, it creates
0: health problems, yeah. stress, burnout, It's addictions. absolutely. It's, it's absolutely, I, I find it so frustrating. I actually find the whole, let me just rant for a minute about this whole work-life balance thing for a moment, right? Because you hear this everywhere and it's always framed in a positive way. Well, you need to have a good work-life balance. But the way that we understand that term and the way it's used, think about what's implicit in that: is work sucks, so make sure you have balance it with life that's good. Why would we seed that much of our lives and just admit that you know, just kind of coordinate off, you know, over here and say that work sucks and work at, that that we spend most of our waking hours, you know, doing our jobs and our employment, we should not. Either as employees or as leaders, allow that to be the circumstance. You know, the work life balance phrase didn't even mean that initially. The work life balance phrase is that you needed to find the same satisfaction. You needed to find satisfaction implicitly in your work in order for you to then lean in and be engaged and be productive. And so the idea was that, that there needed to be a balance of fulfillment and satisfaction across both work and life, not that you balanced. Horrible work with good life. And so we we need to just really embrace a different idea here, which is that work needs to be a place where people are fulfilled. People deserve to be fulfilled at work. And I think leaders need to get to a point where they understand uh, both the opportunity they have as humans to be doing something for their people really genuinely, not in a transactional way. That's important. It has the added benefit though, Michael, as we know, it, it's also going to help their business. We know that, leaders know that. They shouldn't engage it for that reason fundamentally. They should engage it because it's the right thing to do. I think that manager, that you that first story you told, if he had come, if you had felt like he was saying those things to you as a tactic to get you to do your work harder, you would not be telling me this story. The reason you're telling me this story is there was an authenticity that he was sort of caring about you. We need to have that authenticity or else it hollows out this whole approach. But if we have that, it can be incredibly powerful. Yep. And like I said, it it left a
1: lasting moment. And I've had managers in my career that did something similar, but it definitely came as, you know, um, remember who the boss is. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, the, those, I don't mention those uh, because they weren't, memorable situations because there were other factors in the environment. So it exactly. just, it, 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 it provides a great blueprint for people to follow. So I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you're doing?
0: Yeah, I would say uh, go to motivationworks.com. You can read about kind of this platform and this approach. And uh, I, I think that's the best place to go. Um, you can also, um, you know, find me on LinkedIn, Scott Rigby. Uh, at uh, immersive.com. That's my, that's our parent company. Uh, But, but I I think directly on this work, it's motivationworks.com is the best place. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Scott, thank you again for your time. And more importantly,
1: thank you for this important work. It makes the products and services that we as consumers have when we're buying from healthy organizations and you're doing a great part to help
0: make that. happen. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. It's been a great pleasure to be with you.